Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800 657 4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online to agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving higher. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. Marks with Sean Hackett. Sean Hackett is Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida. It's nice enough to come on and talk about what's going on in the world of commodities. Sean, how are you doing this morning? Doing good, Casey. Real good. Good, man. It is, uh, we are, we are heading in, well, it's November now, so we've got this, uh, the harvest low pressure of every crop that we see out there right now, whether it's corn, whether it's cotton, whether it's, um, soybeans milo whatever it is you got all the stuff going out there so we got the harvest low situation going we had the fed meet yesterday and they decided not to raise rates and which i think i actually think people were pretty much caught off guard by that a little bit because they were expecting one more rate uh hike um i guess uh, read between the lines from what i read going into this uh chairman powell made every um you know, comment that you can make that's kind of an open-ended statement saying, hey, we, we're going to continue to raise rates one more time. I mean, this is going to happen. And it didn't happen this time. So I guess your reaction to what you saw from the Fed yesterday. Well, I think they want to pivot without telling everyone they're going to pivot. So what they're doing is they're talking a strong game. Um, and then they're finding uh, subtle reasons why in this particular meeting, you know, we're just not, we're not going to do it, but we're still ready to do it. So, um, 
the expectation was that they were going to, they would do one more raise before the end of the year, which meant either in the November or the December meeting. And now after yesterday and the way he, what he said and how he said it, you know, unless there's some surprising numbers that come out between now and then it doesn't look, look, look like he's going to raise in December. I mean, it looks like he's done with raising rates. He didn't say he's going to lower them anytime soon. But I, once again, I think he wants to keep putting out. I don't think he wants to tell everyone he's pivoting, even though he is. So I think we're done. And um, and so I think what the next stage of this is jobs numbers. That's the key. The jobs numbers really start to weaken. We get the ADP private report out today. But if we really start to see joblessness going up, the uh, – unemployment rate going up, if we're starting to really see that cranking, it's going to further push the Fed into the hold mode. And then the, then the speculation is going to be, you know, when do we start seeing rates uh, normalize to some, not going back to zero, by the way, right. but something more more mid-range, you know, two and a half, three percent, something in between. And uh, so I think today's ADP report, you know, could be another sign that, you um, the market we're looking for that we're seeing job weakness leading to the Fed being further ready to start pivoting to lower rates. And of course, we saw the dollar reverse yesterday. We saw interest rates back off yesterday. Stock market really had a nice surge at the end of the day, including tech stocks, which uh, you know are risk assets. And um, so, you know, uh, those headwinds have been with us all year long. They've been formidable, but if we uh, if we neutralize those headwinds and actually if they become tailwinds as we move into the election year, then any kind of fundamental news on agricultural commodities, whether it's weather, whether it's geopolitics and such, um, you know, could really uh, gain some greater momentum to the upside than if you have those those winds strongly pushing you back. So I viewed yesterday as a positive sign that we're moving in the right direction in terms of friendlier risk asset markets and um you know baby steps at this point right yeah and it, they've you know he, he did say that when we stopped raising rates a long time ago we stopped raising rates that there was no we were going to have this higher interest rate environment for longer than than uh what we thought and well, that's what he wants you yeah. to believe because he doesn't want you to – he doesn't want you to know he's pivoting even though he is. So he's going to keep putting it out there. But now if the jobs numbers really, really weaken tremendously and are really showing momentum, he'll have a little, he'll have a little rates just like that. So, yeah. But he's going to put that out there because he doesn't want – it's like a, you know, a poker player. You know, They try not to move their eyes or fingers. They just try to stay stoic. He's trying to put the impression that you know, don't, we're not doing anything anytime soon, so don't even think about it. And, but then all of a sudden he could change his mind. Yeah. So that's that's to me what he's trying to do. He's trying to hide his cards, even though he knows exactly what he has. Yeah. So, for sure. All right, man. Let's jump over and talk a little bit about what's happening in the cotton market. Cotton market right now. I've talked to a few guys, and they're um, not overly excited about what's happening in the cotton market. We talked a little bit before we started recording. And you talked about how we're on the lower end of a two-year, uh, the two-year scale as we look at the uh, overall pricing marketplace. So, looking at cotton and some of this. And economic news that we've been seeing come down the pike. Talk a little bit about what's happened in the cotton market, Sean. Well, the harvest lows in corn and soybeans, as you know, is typically 
first half of October, but the harvest low is in cotton because it's it, it the the harvest starts later, it goes on longer. Typically, it's mid late November, so we're right in the zone here of the next two to three weeks where we typically maximize harvest pressure to the downside. So this is typically the time of the year that we're at the low side normally, not every year, but normally at the low side. And usually at harvest, farmers don't like the price because it's usually at the lows. Um, and that's exactly where we find ourselves. So that, you know, is a structural thing. Um, you know, and obviously the idea that, uh, the economy, uh, you know, is showing more and more signs of that these higher interest rates are slowing the appetite for consumers and putting more pressure on consumers. It was a headwind for cotton, always has been, because it's such a cyclically um, sensitive commodity for economic activity. Having said that, if we start to change the rate structure, rates start to go down, Fed starts to accommodate, they start printing money. All of a sudden, then the market's going to start looking and say, well, we're at the trough in consumer demand. We're going to see things rebound, let's say, later on in 24. And then the cotton uh, market starts pricing in better demand as a tailwind. So that's something that every commodity, whether it's lumber, whether it's cotton, whether it's crude oil, um, that are economically sensitive – you know, will tend to react more violently to these changes in the monetary uh, conditions. Um, and of course, we know we had terrible crops across the board last year. So we know supplies are not great. If we get any kind of increase in demand, you could quickly get in yourself into a situation where, you know, we have a, uh, some kind of a uh, uh, scarcity trade later on in the year uh, for 24. So, so I think we're, we're, you know, we're at that point where if I was a, physical buyer of, of cotton if i'm a if i'm a you know a textile if i'm a cotton gin if i'm anyone buying physical cotton here you know usually buying in november normally uh, it's a pretty good time to do it because you're at your harvest lows and and your job is to buy cheap physical cotton for your business for the long haul and so so i would be thinking about averaging in you know we're just a little bit under 80 cents a pound uh right now and i think that's a pretty good level to start accumulating physical cotton and upside hedges you know for for those that are on the buy side physical buy side of the cotton market right now yeah all right you brought up one in there in your talk there that i was going to ask about you next and that's lumber and if you take a look where lumber is at today compared to where it was a couple of years ago at, at the COVID high of you know whatever it was fourteen hundred dollars a linear foot type of thing uh, per hundred linear foot and you're looking at where it's at today we're at 488.50 lumber prices have come back down to a more normal range about basically back where they were started pre-covid and we're starting to look through that um building material costs haven't necessarily translated to that price yet because i tried <laughs> to build something the other day and it was still pretty expensive so but looking at where we're at now with lumber um you know you start seeing that normalization of the marketplace because, you know, obviously people have to work through what they pre-bought and those kind of things and those contracts and stuff that they've got. But as you're looking at the at the lumber market now, Sean, looking long-term, even with interest rates the way they are, and, you know, you see some housing start uh, stuff come out. But when I go to, like, Denver and I go back home to Wichita and I go up to Kansas City in those areas, they're still building stuff about as fast as they can put it up. So I guess, Sean, as you take a look at that lumber marketplace, what are your thoughts there? Well, remember, a lot of the construction today was lumber that was bought a year ago, sure. and and, yep. and for, 
So, I mean, we essentially have a uh, uh, the real estate market's in lo- is locked down. What I mean by that is those that own homes aren't selling because they're not going to give up their three percent mortgage rate. Right. Those that want to buy aren't going to buy because they're not going to lock in an eight percent interest rate. And so you either are a seller because you have to, or you're a buyer because you have the cash to do it. But essentially, transact. I mean, I think um, mortgage applications, 1994 levels. I mean, there's just nothing. Yeah. It, we're we're complete shutdown. So that means that new construction. You know, you look at the the bank. The banks aren't lending any money. They're upside down with all their uh, with this inverted yield curve that we've had for the last year. Um, you know, so so yeah, we have construction that was already in the pipeline that needs to be built out and filled, and that's already been committed. But in order to really get lumber demand going, you need to get <clears throat> interest rates back down to where uh, buyers feel that it's it's it's. If you look at the affordability index, which is the price of a house versus your income. Or the price of your house versus the cost, um, you know, the mortgage cost. I mean, we're we're at the most unaffordable real estate market in the history of the, that since we've been measuring this in the United States. I mean, this is the most unaffordable time. So that has to change. So either that has to change by prices coming down, interest rates coming down, or come or both of those coming down, so that the affordability is to the point where people say, you know, I. I I, I'm willing to do it now. That that even though it's not exactly what I want, but I, you know, I think I can work it into my budget. You know, and until that happens, it's hard to see lumber demand uh, doing anything but kind of uh, just flopping on the bottom here. I think we're at the lows. You know, I don't, like I said, I think we have, this is nothing new. This is definitely, in my view, priced into the lumber market already. But you know, I, t- in order to really get the market to move up, other than typical back and forth action, you, you definitely need the Federal Reserve to say, we're ready to stimulate again. If they do that, lumber market's going to start reacting because the lumber market has a habit of actually going up approximately two years in advance of what it sees ahead. And so, you know, we know the Federal Reserve, their actions take time. It's not instantaneous, but they say they say somewhere in the first half of 24, we're going to lower rates and we're going to print money and we're going to get things going again. Well, lumber markets can start to go up because it has to factor in all these projects that that we'll be talking about a year or two from now. So, you know, I, I, I guess if, if you're someone, you know, if you're a lumber mill or you're somebody on the buy side of physical lumber and you have a long-term profile, I mean, these are cheap prices. These are good prices to lock in, if, if, you know, so you just have to determine how you want to do that. But certainly at these levels, I don't. There's, there's not going to be a whole lot of lumber mills that are going to go out of business locking in this kind of a cheap price at this point. So for sure. Yeah, I looked at it this morning. And I was kind of getting ready for something. I was like, wow, that's really come down quite a bit. So yeah, lumber prices is are are coming back down. All right. Well, and remember, it was a bubble. I mean, we 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 had oh, a sure. historic bubble yeah. of of historic proportions, and when you pop a bubble. You always come back down to where the bubble began, and we've completely erased the entire move. We did the same thing in the oats market. Yeah, uh, you know, we had that run up to eight, and then you know, then now we're under four. Um, you know, in the orange juice market had a nasty reversal this week um, from a, a high that was double the all-time high of ever before. That has a look that we might have placed um, 
a major bubble top this week. And if, and if that's the case, then we could be talking about orange juice sometime next year, going all the way back to the breakout point of a dollar 50. You know, these bubbles are very, you know, the, the, the pattern is very reliable and consistent when they pop, they typically give back all that they've gained um, in, a, in a, in a fairly quick period of time. So, you know, always keep an eye on bubbles and, and, and vertical markets because, um, you know, when it ends, trying to sell into a crash, very, very difficult. And you want to make sure you lock in those prices on the way up, not on the way down when it, when it, when it becomes almost impossible to get anything done. So right on. All right. You, you hit on the next one. Orange juice. Talk about that a little bit. Well, orange juice, yeah, we had this hurricane last year, right. as you know, Casey, yeah. that was an historic one in 100 year flood right in the heart of the citrus belt where they grow oranges for the orange juice. And essentially it created a zero. I mean, I, 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 just about a zero, almost no crop was produced last year. Never happened before. Um, and so we've never been through something like that. We have literally no orange juice coming from Florida. So we had to import everything from Brazil, but you know, it doesn't always come in on time and there's delays, <laughs> there's logistical problems. You know, how this sure. works. It's, uh, yep. You know, it's not exactly the product you wanted. I don't know. You know, it's just so we've had this crazy, historic, really greatest bull market in OJ history we've had, undoubtedly. Never seen anything like it before. Um, now, demand, of course, has been collapsing and collapsing and collapsing and collapsing. Uh, the lowest demand ever seen in the history of our country and, and falling further. And once you lose demand for orange juice, the history says it's never coming back. Uh, Alico, who is the one of the top producers of orange juice in Florida, big ag outfit, in their communique, in their last quarterly earnings, said that they're very optimistic about a, a very substantial improvement in crop production, uh, which is, starts here in late December. And you know that if they're saying it and they're feeling it, then so are so is everybody else. So a big production increase is coming. I mean, we are going to produce orange juice in Florida this year when we produced almost nothing last year. That's a big, bearish change in the market once those supplies start coming in, right? Uh, the second thing is they made a comment that they've uh, that, 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 that this new injection that they've been putting into the trunks of the trees, um, it, it's an OTC uh, injection that has proven to to increase the strength of the tree's immune system, uh, f- push back the citrus greening, which has devastated the, the Florida crop, and they've been seeing dramatically improving results. And they think that the crop after this one, not this one, but after this one, could show a substantial improvement. Uh, not only from a continuous rebound, continued rebound from the floods, but also because of the Treatment. They, I think, they said that by that by the end of the year, that almost eighty-five percent of all their trees would be injected with this OTC product. And Brazil, which has been experiencing an increasing citrus screening themselves, which was another reason why this market further went higher, are also starting to apply it down there. So, if we put citrus screening, if we start pushing back on that and, and kind of remove that as a major element here, Casey, in Florida and Brazil. And we get better weather, which we've been which we've been getting. That 
increase in production, I mean, the, the profitability <laughs> for orange producers, for orange juice at these prices is insane. So, you know, that is a recipe for a um, dramatic reversion back down. And so that looks to me like, you know, it's always hard to pick in your moments, but you want to, you always want to look for what we call this big reversal day. So uh, not yesterday, I think it was Tuesday. <clears throat> we were up like 20 <clears throat> and we ended down 35. So we, so we actually had like a, you know, insane, uh, you know, like 40 point, reversal from the high to the low um i mean just dramatic and then and then we had follow through yesterday we were limited down yesterday follow through i've looked at a lot of bubble, bubble tops in my 35 years of watching markets and commodities and you know more often than not that is how it ends they, they you have this and then and then you know and so it looks to me like there's a very good chance that this week placed the final high no one can know for sure, but it had the look of a final high. And the way these bubbles go, lumber included, oats included, cotton from a decade ago, you get this initial reversal, and then you get what's called an echo bubble. You get one more rally. You don't get back to where you were, but you get one more you know, rally to a lower high, and then it's the terminal move down. We're going to be looking for that final gasp higher, that echo bubble that rounds out at a lower high to, to give us, um, you know, a, a, a reason to, uh, you know, to look, to, to, to confirm. Because if that, if we get that lower high and then we move down, then, then the top, then, then we have a, a deflating bubble market. And so that's the next thing pattern wise we're looking for to confirm that this violent, reversal this week is in fact mobile top is to see that secondary rally fail and roll over so bottom line anybody who's in the business of selling orange juice for a living <laughs> i would do whatever i could to lock prices as far out as i could in any manner that i'm that i'm able to because you know i i just feel that you're you're you're, you're the, the prices you'll be locking in and the profitability you'll be locking in, especially with better production coming, is such that you know you you you're not going to get an, another opportunity like this for probably a very very long time. So my suggestion is, especially after this week's reversal, if you're in the business of physically needing to sell orange juice for a living, to make to to uh, you know as a producer and such, I think I would uh, get on with it. Mm -hmm. So right on. Okay. Finally, let's talk about sugar. So we're in the middle of uh, sugar beet harvest, kind of wrapping up. That's about done. Um, as you take a look, what's going on there? My area sounded like the tons were there, decent sugar quality. Um, so there should be some some good um, outcomes from this harvest. As you take a look at the overall sugar marketplace right now, we're trading somewhere right around twenty eight cents. Um, I guess Sean, as you look at the sugar market, what are your thoughts there? And I know we had with what's going on in Brazil and what we're seeing down there as far as some uh, drought situations go, the world sugar market could be a little bit tighter than what anticipated. 
I mean, we're, we're, we're extraordinarily tight and it's really stemming from the Thailand drought that essentially almost created a half a crop. And of course the, the ban on sugar exports from India that started in October. So the market has to price what that looks like. Now, of course the risk is at some point India says we're going to sell some sugar again. My view about India is there's an election coming up. I think it's in March or April. I, I, something somewhere around that time frame, and they have very very high food inflation in the country. So they banned wheat, they banned rice, they banned sugar, they're banning everything because they're trying to keep the price down so that Modi can get himself back in as whatever they call him, president, supreme leader, whatever supreme they call him, supreme leader, supreme leader, and um, uh, and so I think that a, a, a large reason that this is happening is because he wants to get elected. And he wants, and you know, it's very hard to vote for somebody if you can't feed your family because prices are too high. It does make it tough. So I don't see a huge risk of them letting up on these, uh, on the ban until March. Now, after that, you know, if he, if he, let's assume he gets elected and all, you know, could I see them maybe allowing some exports? Absolutely. Um, Will the market wait for them to make that decision? No. I think the market might start thinking about the election and what's going to happen and the, and the possibility that maybe they're going to ease up a little bit and sell, uh, sell a few things once he's back in office. So I think that you, know, you just need to be careful with things like sugar, which are running up primarily because of the ban on sugar exports. Um, you know, we're getting near the end of what that looks like. I'm not saying we're at the end, but we're getting near the end of what that looks like. Um, and the closer we get to the elections, the greater the risk that either India starts making some comments that they're thinking about it, <laughs> you know, or, or the market just starts betting that it might happen. And so I just, I think, I think, you know, you just have to be as a producer, I think at this point, at this level, you need to be thinking about set, scaling in cash sales into the end of the year. Once again, you don't want to wake up one morning and find out that India is is, is talking about opening up sugar exports in a few months. You, you just want to make sure you're, you're getting enough of 28 cents a, a, a pound for sugar. For anyone producing sugar in the world, you are doing quite well indeed. So my view is... Yes, could there be more upside? Do I think the ban is going to be ending uh, before the end of the year? No, but I do think that we're getting near the end of the process, not the beginning. And as a cash seller from a producer's side, you just you definitely need to be making sure these prices don't go away on you. They're just too profitable right now. Yep, right on. All right, Sean, good stuff as usual. Folks, want to reach out to you and get more information about what you're doing at Hacker Financial. What's the best way to do that? Uh, we have a Twitter page at Faradex 11 website, Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. We post some interviews, um, some snippets of some things that we're seeing, weather-wise or algorithm for weather and capital flows, the way we look at fundamentals to see if the way we look at the world of agriculture might be of value to those that watch and listen to your show. Right on, man. Sean's got a lot of good information out there that you can just go check out. There's tons of information that he's got that's free. So check it out and see where it's there. Uh, folks want to join your your newsletter, Sean. What is, the, is that just on your website? Just 
place they can go fill that out right there on the website. Yeah, there's a you go on the website and there'll there's a there's a uh, a tab there for uh, subscribing uh, to the report and it's just pretty simple. Put your information in and yep. and it's a weekly report and um you know it's it's not uh, it's not outrageously priced for uh, for most. It's uh you know we've tried to keep it a fairly reasonably priced uh, newsletter so that uh, um, maximum benefit can go out to all. So. Wow. Yeah, and the information that you find in that newsletter is going is there's a lot of stuff in there that you're not going to find anywhere else. So Sean does a great job with that. So check that out. So Sean, uh, you got any uh, upcoming uh, spots that you're going to be on in, in any any news networks anywhere? Well, I mean, we're always on. I mean, we're, we're this week we were with the cow guy yesterday. That's right. I forgot um, about you with that guy now. Yeah. yeah. How's that going? Yeah, uh, going well. Good. Yeah, it's going well, and uh, I'm, I'll be on uh, uh, Susan Littlefield's uh, Soybean Weekly program on Friday with Sue Martin nice. uh, as the other analyst. Um, uh, I just did Michelle Rook uh, earlier in the week, uh, who does the uh, Farm Bureau show, um, or Ag, T- Ag Day TV or something like that. Yep. I'll, be, I'll be getting on the road doing a lot of speaking engagements in the month of November, um, Oklahoma, Montana. I'll be in uh, North Dakota. Uh, you know, obviously a lot to talk about with the Nino, with the El Nino Modokai rapidly developing a very cold winter that we think is coming, and obviously this um, incredible drought of potential for northern Brazil is going to be a lot to educate farmers and producers on how they should think about marketing their grain in the next six to twelve months, and you know, hopefully we can uh, provide some food for thought and, and help everyone. Do a little bit of job of bringing more money home on the farm. Right on, so. man. That's all good stuff. Sounds like you're going to be pretty busy, Sean. Safe travels and as you make your way through there. And nothing beats North Dakota in November. You're going to love it. Hey, better in November than in February, although I will be there in February, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right on, buddy. Well, Sean, good talking to you, man. Take care of yourself. I'll hit you up next week. Sounds good. Thanks, Casey. Right on. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Go to LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast and check out the video version of this over on the YouTube channel, which is the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. Go to movingironllc.com for everything Moving Iron related. Got some big announcements coming out over the next couple of months about uh, Moving Iron Summit, which that's been booked. That's September 4 through 6 in Nashville, Tennessee again. And Sean's going to be there. Going to could throw down a little bit of his knowledge on that, but that's a year away from now, so a lot of things can happen between now and then. So Sean will be uh, giving his uh, two cents on what's going on there. And uh, got some other good guests lined up as well. So looking forward to that. So just go to movingironllc.com for everything Moving Iron related, and you can find all kinds of information about all the upcoming announcements that will be out there. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour, Sean Hackett. So smart folks. Out. When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, We have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. 
With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher, time and 